Lord, we come today with this great hope, this great sense of expectation. This is not all there is. As good as it may seem here sometimes, and Lord, we put a lot of effort into that. The here and now. But history is headed somewhere. We are headed somewhere. It's beyond our imagination of what you have in store for us. But you came. You came to show us the way. Lord, you came that it wasn't like a far-off mountain that none of us could climb because if we had to go there ourselves, we'd be in trouble. But you came as the way. And we stand on that today and you're coming back. And today we celebrate that. Thank you, Lord, for the great hope. We do not meander around this old earth as those who are without hope. <laughs> oh, Lord, we have a great one. And thank you. And let us live. Let us live in such a way that it's contagious to those around us. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Well, good morning. This is, uh, it's great to be home. Uh, It seems like it's been quite a journey over the last month. Uh, In many ways, been a little bit of vacation and then some other turns along the way that might not quite was expected. But maybe it was. I don't know. As many of you know, uh, as you maybe shared with you last week, I was home with my mom for most of last Saturday through Wednesday night late. And uh, my mom, uh, she died Friday morning about 7.30 Arkansas time. And uh, she was as witty and as sharp up to the last few hours. I was leaving her on Friday, I mean Wednesday afternoon and driving to Dallas to catch a late night plane back to, to Phoenix. And... Um, She'd had, some, she'd had my, old, my younger sister go cash a check for $400 the other day just in case anybody needed money in the house. That was mom. And then she tried to give me money as I left the other day for gas. That was mom. She knew what was going on, but most of all, without fear, without fear, she transitioned. Graduated with honors. That's awesome. So we'll see today. You'll be part next couple of weeks, next few weeks. You may be part of my therapy, so just hang in there, okay? <laughs> and today, uh, and maybe the next week or so, uh, I'll be presuming on God a whole lot, uh, the Father. But I'll tell you this: it's uh, what great parents do. You can presume on them. It's what a great God does. You can presume on Him, and He shows up, even if you don't think you're ready. He's ready, and so that's why we do what we do. Today is the first day of Advent, as Josiah has already mentioned and read the scripture, so I won't read that to you again in Mark chapter 13, 24 through 37. If you want to mark that, I won't read it back to you again. I thank you, Josiah, for doing that in such a, and, and the band for such a wonderful way in leading us to the throne this morning. And, and, uh, but the word Advent comes from the Latin word adventus, meaning the coming. 
And uh, it, it lasts for about those who maybe are not used to celebrating Advent. It lasts for four Sundays. This year it's going to be a little trickier for us because of uh, the way it lays out. December third uh, of uh, I think today's December third, right? It's about it's the latest that Advent comes, and usually from November twenty seventh to December third, somewhere uh, there is where Advent lands the first Sunday. And so we will have a Christmas Eve service and the last Sunday of Advent kind of together. So it's going to get a little trickier, but I bet you we'll figure it out, okay? And so we're looking forward to that. But, but today is kind of a twofold preparation as we begin to think about the first coming of Jesus. And we get excited about that. I remember as a little kid, man, could not wait. I mean, it seemed like, you know, six months, seemed like six years. I don't know about you, but sometimes I, I was talking to somebody the other day about this, but one of the things about, you know, as a little kid, time seems so much further. It seems to slow down. It seems like if you're a five or six-year-old, I mean, six months or a year, you almost can't even quite wrap your mind around that. But, you know, you, you, you think about it. I mean, as a four or five-year-old, one year is 25% of your life, okay? <laughs> but when you're 58, then it's a smaller percentage, right? And it gets here really quick. And when you're 90, like my mom was, it really gets there quick. And one of the other things is that for little kids, they always seem to be learning something every single day. So I would encourage you, the older you get, to continue to learn. Because the more you learn, the slower time seems to be. So I just want to encourage you on that, because little kids, they, they, when they learn, they kind of just, that day seems a little longer, right? So I just encourage you to do that. If you want time to slow down, it can't, as you know. Uh, but you can uh, redeem it. You can redeem it differently than maybe some of us are. And uh, so Advent, the coming, the first coming of Christ, the second coming of Christ. Because reality is this time of year, the time between Thanksgiving and, and uh, Christmas, is not a time that most of us begin to think about that. And it's the scriptures, we've, as Josiah's already read, it, it talks about after the suffering. I mean, you start talking about... Uh, Christmas, and the first thing you jump into is suffering. It just doesn't seem like that's a very Christmassy kind of, you know, a, a, a thought we want. We want to be thinking about family and happy things. But the reality was Jesus came in a time of great suffering the first time. And when we talk about the second coming... And I could go down all kinds of different stories on this. I've done it, taught it in youth. Being in youth ministry, you can get real creative talking about the second coming, and we've scared the bejeebies out of teenagers doing that. I won't do that to you today. Uh, We've done some creative things that probably we could even get in trouble for today, but we didn't then. And uh, so that's the cool thing about being in youth ministry. You can try stuff, and people give you a little more space, okay? And they don't don't leave the church because you tried something. It didn't work, okay? But we did. And I did one time, I did a second coming, and I was preaching, you know, two will be on the rooftop, one will be taken, two will be on the field, one will be taken, and then the trumpet's going to sound, and I had a guy that played trumpet in our band there in Texarkana, he was behind the curtain, and we, at the exact same time, we shut all the lights out in the room, and he started blowing that trumpet, and, and when that light came back on, those kids were holding on to each other, and they were clamping on to each other, and... Uh, I remember the guy asked me, a guy named John Cherry, he asked me, what do you want me to play? I said, it doesn't matter. <laughs> it won't matter. Just blow it as loud as you can blow it. I don't know that that helped any of them. It may, I don't know. But, but my point is, though, you can have a lot of fun with it. 
But Christmas doesn't seem to be that time that we begin to go, okay, this is what we want to talk about. Because when we think about the second coming, and in some ways we should, we think very apocalyptic. We think actually along the line of an Armageddon type, you know what that means, an Armageddon type thought. Then we begin to think about even ISIS, and you start thinking about all the, you know, just think about a lot of things. So Christmas just doesn't seem to be that time, but that's a Western church, Western culture issue, because I'm going to tell you around the world, people are suffering. Matter of fact, they're suffering just right around us. They're still waiting. They're longing. Even back then, <clears throat> Jesus' mother Mary asked the great question, <clears throat> how can this be? <laughs> and it's still a question in some ways we ask to this day. Suffering. You know, I was very fortunate to watch my mom and dad pass away over these last seven years in the sense that, not fortunate that they're gone, but fortunate to be able to be there and then to have sharp minds all the way up to the, to the end. My dad, though, suffered, and I know he did. My mom did, and so you don't know how all that plays its way out. You don't know how all that's supposed to work. You don't know why that's decided that way in the God's economy. You just don't know, but you watch it. And the thing you try to keep people from doing in that moment is suffering. And whatever that is, my dad wouldn't take morphine or anything because he was afraid to get hooked on it. I said, Dad, you're about, to, you know, I want to go, Dad, you're, you're going about to die. <laughs> okay, an addiction to morphine is not going to be an issue. That's what I'm going to tell him. Because that's probably not it. And, uh, you know, but, but if you'd had the history my family had had and addiction in my family, six siblings or five or six kids, and I think not one of us have, have, and he watched it, what it did to his kids. And he said, I don't want to get close to it. I don't want to get close to it. Even at 89 years old going, I just don't even want to, I don't want to I'd rather suffer, I'd rather deal with that than that be close to that line. And unfortunately for us, as I mentioned in this Western culture, we, we don't think about the second coming very much. Matter of fact, we probably don't even think about heaven very much. Because our passion in Western culture, including the church for sure, seems to be elsewhere. What's our home going to look like? Who are we going to marry? And that's good. And that's all right to be worried about that. But I just want to make sure I'm secure financially. My mom and dad used to say, we never had much, but we always had enough. I'm not sure what all that means, but there's something in there. <laughs> we're, focused, we're tempted to focus more on retirement, on college, on career. We have a tendency to focus more on those things in this Western culture than we do to long for what has been promised to us. We just really do. But I'm going to tell you like Paul, if we was to read about Paul, Paul talks about it, you know, to die is Christ. 
You know, if I die, he longs. He said, I, can't, I think it's Philippians 1, 21. He talks about, he said, I'm caught between a straight betwixt two. He said, if I, if I die, that's game, man. That's to be with Jesus, but it's better for you if I stay here. And King James says, I'm in a, Paul says, I'm in a straight betwixt two. Man, if you're Paul and you're people around the world like what we see and we're trying to minister to and trying to, especially through the Advent season, but year-round from suffering, from being taken from their homeland to living in or being, being coming to this land and still suffering or wherever it may be, suffering is all around us. And I'm going to guess people who there, especially if they know Jesus, they're longing, there's a longing Some things we can learn from their longing. So Advent, this first Sunday, is a lot about that longing. It's that desire to be elsewhere. And it's strange when you're in those moments because, I mean, like for me the last few weeks, and many of you have walked this out before I ever walked it out, so I'm not saying I'm the only one that's ever done this. I know many of you in here... Uh, have done that with your fa- with especially with your parents, but with others. It's that waiting. You know the time is near. <laughs> you see the signs, but you don't know. There's sometimes it's obvious, like like I said with my dad, he had cancer, and just things begin to happen, and there was no stopping that train unless God intervened. There just was no stopping it. My mom. <laughs> this summer we were there with her and she fell. I may have told you this already before, but I, I just thought you uh, just made me think of it. She just, she fell and Allie woke up and went back there and found us three or, four, three or two or three in the morning. She kind of hurt herself and she's trying to go to the bathroom. And so the next day, Jan, my wife Jan, took her to the ER and they did some x-rays and she seemed to be fine and, and her vitals, everything seemed to be fine and all that. And the doctor just sat down and said, Miss Gentry, uh, he said, you have, you have a lot of tread left on these tires. He said, you know, you may have another, he said, you may have another 10 years ago or so. And she goes, oh, no, oh, no, no, I don't want 10 years. I don't want that. And uh, she just wore out. She just did. She was tired. So there's that time that we all kind of have that going but we're also looking forward to it and I like and the tough part about it is is, is a child uh, sitting there with my mom and, and like I said I'm the fifth one uh, I was the baby boy for about five years and I had a little sister who was born 12 years later so my mom and dad I mean I've got a sister who's 70 got a sister who's 45 46 my mom and dad had children in the home 45 years which seems yeah I, I, like I said I would have quit somewhere along the way <laughs> Yeah, I do. Okay, that's not. But my sister in God's economy, my sister lived next door to her. Still does, because she passed. My little sister took care of her. And you start looking back and going, God, you were up to something then. I, I didn't know that, God. And if you knew my family, again, I'm not going to tell all my story here today. By no means, you don't want to hear all of it. But, but I wish I could, because I, could, I wish I could tell you that sometimes you're in the middle of all of it, and, and you want to quit, and my mom and dad didn't quit. I mean, out of now, there's almost 70 of us in our family, 
kids, grandkids, and then there's a, there was about a decade and a half where we were the most dysfunctional. If you saw us from addiction and to divorces and all the things that's going on, if you looked in that window of time and said, that's the Gentry family, you would have probably given up. But they didn't. Only I tell people, but God. It's the only answer to it. I mean, unbelievably dysfunctional. Unbelievable dysfunctional and addiction. But my mom and dad, but God. <laughs> they kept looking forward. They kept having hope in a God where they couldn't see the evidence of it in that moment. For a decade and a half, we're not talking about 15 weeks. We're not talking about 15 months. We're talking about 15 years. Still expectation, still hope, still on your knees, still on your... That's what we're talking about here. There's a great expectation even though you can't see it in the moment. But if you just knew right then, I mean, if I'd have been a preacher 20 years before Jesus was coming, and if I'd have known, if I'd have got the message, hey, the Messiah is coming, if I'd have been a religious leader back then, I don't know if I'd have been a part of hanging him on the cross, but I didn't, they didn't know. They didn't stay alert. They didn't stay awake. 400 years of silence. Four hundred years of waiting has a tendency, if you're not careful, to begin to draw into yourself, to begin to depend on yourself, to begin to go, well, he's not coming. And then when he does come, you can't recognize him. Because you're not alert, as the scripture says. You're not watching. You don't have the eyes to see what you should be able to see. The eyes that only can come by God giving you eyes to see. Some of you right now, you hadn't heard from God in a long time. You still showed up for church, but you haven't really heard from Him. If you're not careful, you have a tendency to drop back in on yourself, and you take it on yourself, and you begin to run the whole thing yourself. If only I'd known, though. If only I had known, I'd bought, I'd bought Bitcoin stock in 2010. <laughs> if only I'd known. Do you know Bitcoin? If you would have bought a $1,000 stock in 2010, it's worth $35 million today. $35 million. If you'd put it in the S&P, I think it's worth $2,500. <laughs> if you'd only known... If I'd only known that sin was going to have that kind of impact, I might not have done it. You know, if sin had more immediate consequences, there would probably be less of it. If I'd only known how to raise my kids, if I'd only known. It's the reason why we've got to continue to seek and continue to turn, even in the hardest times, and not draw in on our own wisdom, because I'm going to tell you, you don't have it unless it's come from Him. I asked my mom the other day, I said, if you'd have known 70 years ago when you and daddy got married, if you'd have known, we were sitting there just talking, and I, I said, if you'd have known 
All the suffering. My dad had PTSD from World War II, and there's a long story behind that. If you'd have had that, and he had that throughout, actually into the mid-'80s, so it took him 40 years to God to finally heal him and his mind and his heart. And, uh, and that was in the middle of the decade of all the dis- dysfunction. Could you imagine looking today, Mom, through all of that and to see that every one of your kids love the Lord, to see that their spouses do, to see that their kids, and they're not just attending church, sticking their foot in, they're actually poured into their local congregation. I told her, and many of you know my niece from, from Little Rock when we go there, Kim, I said to her, I said, can you imagine, Mom, that and, you know, there's really, really no books going to be written about you, even though my brothers write stuff down, and there's nobody ever going to know you, and there's not going to be any news or anything about you, but your DNA, what you and Daddy lived out, what you guys did, are now being poured into young, into women coming out of prison in Little Rock, Arkansas, and that DNA that's being poured into them is going to be poured into their kids because you made a decision to stay. And follow after Christ. You continue to pour in. You continue to walk it out. You continue because you knew that was a great hope. You knew it. You couldn't touch it. You couldn't taste it. You couldn't even see any. There wasn't any light at times. And she just looks at me like, I didn't do that. I was, that's just mom. She doesn't know. She really, genuinely, her and dad don't know. My encouragement to you today is that, you know, and I just even like, I'm just thinking about it during this time going, you know, I was texting people and people would, I'd texting people to let them know. And sometimes, most of the time I call, but some people I text because I couldn't, somewhere out of the country, maybe you know, and, and the friends, staff members, or the clearly couldn't call, so I text. And you put the term passed away, went to be with Jesus. You know, you go through all those things. You know, find out, you know, people go, well, well I hate, and I, I, I know, I appreciate this morning because, you know, I hate to hear about my mom. That is awesome, and I thank you for that. But I, I, I wrestled, go, where did the term passed away or passed, when did that start? And it started like in the 80s. You know, where it just sounds a little softer than they died. My mom died Friday morning so she can live again. She didn't just pass away. There's a finality to it. It happened. Jesus just didn't pass away on the cross, okay? He didn't just pass away like he just... No, he died so he could be raised again so we could live again. Dying is so connected to the Christian faith. We don't need to be afraid of that word. She died but she will be raised again. The second coming is coming. I can't explain it. I don't know enough about it. And the word says that we read the, the hour is unknown. It's not a date on the calendar we try to figure out how to circle. But what I am asked to do is to be aware and be on watch. And he said he has left those in place. And I would say with gifts and graces to do what he wants us to do. We look around and we say, we see all the suffering around us. We see it and we know it's from around the world to next door or ne- next street over, or next city over, or next community over. We see it and we go, Lord Jesus, why are you letting that happen? 
Why don't you do something about it? And I hear Acts 1.8 and him saying back to me, I did. You shall receive power to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. I did do something. You are my hands and feet right now. There is an answer to this. And it's us. Not in our own power. Not in our own strength. But to help with that suffering and bring hope. There is a great day coming. A great day. Again, Scripture says we're not going to know when, but you'll know the leaves. You'll see the leaves turning. You'll know what time of year it is. You know, I was in one of my favorite times to go back to the big city of Wicks, Arkansas. <laughs> is, uh, of course, basketball was such a part of my life. Still is in my mind, not in my ability, but <laughs> in my mind. <clears throat> but the sun's setting at 515, 55 degrees out. That beautiful fall, southern sunset. Just that nip in the air and the leaves on the ground. You know what time it is. It's time to play basketball. <laughs> That's basketball. Arkansas, in those small schools, it lasts from October all the way through February. It's awesome. Almost half the year. You know what time it is. You sense it. You sense it. Be aware, be alert, be on watch. And again, this morning you may have come and this whole idea of second coming is is kind of a far out thing. Well, I just say to you, none of us have experienced it, so it's kind of far out for all of us, even if you've been a believer a long time, to some degree. (laughs) Because it hasn't happened. But if you believe in the first coming... And you believe in his death and a resurrection, death and resurrection and ascension, then you have to believe in the second coming. The reason why death is important is because it that is what triggers resurrection, if you will. So we can't be afraid of that. There's nothing to fear. This whole idea of Advent is about hope. It's not about fear. It's about great hope. And we can hold those tensions at the same time. I mean, somebody's asked me, Kurt, how do you how you doing? How you? My answer to that is, I, I want to answer it. Of course, I get way too deep because I overthink everything. But one of the things I want to say is, I can hold two great tensions at the same time. There's a deep sadness and now void. Because mama's gone. But there's this unexplainable joy that's just equal to that. At the same time. And the same person. In the same situation, there's both. That's great hope. 
Revelation 3.3 says, I will come like a thief. And you will not know what time an hour will come, but it will happen. And let me say this, folks. He's not coming back to go to the cross again. He's coming back to conquer this time. So we, whether it's this year during Advent and the Mercy Project or your own neighborhood or wherever God's called you, you move forward with great expectation, with great hope. That's what we're called to do. Knowing that your work is not in vain. And that this momentary, temporary suffering, this momentary evil, this momentary even death and sickness, this momentary is passing away because we're headed somewhere. He knows we're waiting. If it's all true, and you've got to come to that conclusion, or not, but at least have to wrestle with it. If it's all true, if it is, He's put that longing for the waiting in you. Because it's not complete. There's a part missing. And we don't do it with those who we sit around and wring our hands about it. We do it, as we said earlier, we wait and we're advancing at the same time. <laughs> Again, two tensions that seem opposite. That are happening in the same moment. Because Jesus was not returning symbolically, mystically, or secretly. He will return personally, literally, visibly, suddenly, dramatically, gloriously, and triumphantly. No one saved or lost will be questioning it. At every knee shall bow, every tongue shall confess. They won't be asking, who is this? No, they won't, because they will know because it's been built into them. And they may have hardened it. You may have gone indifferent. You may have done a lot of other things along the way to not embrace it. But you will know who it is. Revelation 1.7 says, Behold, He is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see. There's two things we do in the the church that are so important to who we are as a people. I'm going to ask Josiah and them to come on down. One is holy baptism. And the other is holy communion. And you can't understand or embrace either one of them without understanding death and resurrection. You just can't. I'm not saying you can't take one or be baptized once and do it for just whatever you want to do it for, but I'm telling you, you won't embrace it without understanding that the death of Christ was critical for the life that he lived after, that we get.
participate in to be the hands and feet of Lord come quickly but guess what folks he has come and he's left us but just as I will do this Wednesday and stand in front of my family and friends of that little town and celebrate a life that you can't talk about enough in one moment. I mean, sometimes it's just wrapped up to a six-minute video and a three-minute, and you're going 90 years of the impacts you made. It's just a six-minute video. <laughs> you, know, you know what I'm saying? Just kind of go, oh, okay. <laughs> I could talk for hours. But not like I could about my Jesus. We could talk for hours. It is for freedom's sake that he came. It is for freedom, and it is in that freedom that I can hold two tensions at the same time and smile and cry and smile and cry. Because I know we do not operate or live without, like people without hope. We just don't. In fact, I think Paul says, and I don't have the scripture... He said, if there is no resurrection, we're to be pitied more than all people. (laughs) We're running around with some kind of crazy thought. But we shouldn't be pitied. We actually should be living this out because there is a great hope and a great resurrection.